Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here at Hill City, uh, my name is John Wagler, and I'm a part of this team. And uh, my hope is, is if you're looking for a church home, I hope that we become home to you. And uh, just grateful that uh, you are here today. We are in this series uh, called Copy and Paste, which we are uh, taking a look at the realities that we're always imaging something. And, uh, and it's all based off of this passage in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and 28, which says this. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I mean, have you ever thought about that the reality of what uh, God wants us to do is to rule and reign? Like you, so like in essence, like at the creation story, what he's saying is like, hey, I want you to be a king and a queen to rule and to reign, which is pretty cool, right? So in, and then verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Right, this is what your life should be. Fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, there it is again, over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, sometimes when uh, we, we think about like a purpose of our lives, uh, it's interesting. We, we ignore the reality of what God desires for us. And so we get so fixated on what we want to do. But here God is saying uh, in the first like opening part of the Bible, he's like, let me just tell you what humanity is supposed to be like. We've been focusing so much on the creation story these last few weeks. But in the beginning, he's like, let me just tell you, I'm going to create things in a certain order to function a certain way. And, uh, and they're supposed to, when these things order in this way and humanity does what it's supposed to do, that all humans end up imaging God. Like we, we end up um, being his representatives of what his kingdom is supposed to be like. That that is your purpose for your life. So every person in this room, that is your purpose. Every person that has ever been born or ever will be born, that is their purpose, is to image God. So to be an image bearer is to be his representative of his kingdom. It's a, it's a, a reality that all life matters and all life has dignity. That uh, when we look at one another in relationship with God, that we are kingdom builders. Like that there's something so significant about your life and they have so much purpose. And when we embrace that reality, uh, what we do and how we do it totally changes. How we see every part of our life um, begins to uh, dramatically change. This isn't the only place that this talks about this. Um, in the book of Psalms, if you guys have ever uh, read Psalms, uh, it's essentially 150, there's 150 Psalms in there. Some of them were written by this guy named David, um, but there's a bunch of writers of Psalms. And it's ex essentially the whole entire uh, book is, is just uh, about how to deal with emotion. It's like this vulnerable, uh, emotive uh, section of, of Scripture where you get to see like all this different emotion. Uh, but it's interesting, even in Psalm 8, the way uh, it talks about humanity. Look what it, the, the writer says this. Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set glory in the heavens. So establishing this reality of who God is. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. avenger. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, like so we see this, the idea of creation, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings, right, that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So you, you've, again, king and queen, right? There's this kingdom element, there's this, the way that we begin to see our lives in this manner, 
It says, you made them rulers, there it is again, over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all the swim and the paths of the seas. Lord, the Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so we begin to see that this is the exact language of the creation story. So in the book of Psalms, the psalmist is saying, like, listen, if you want to understand your life, you've got to understand this part, that you were made and designed to image God. That you were made and designed to be um, the carrier of his kingdom, the ruler of this earth, like the, the things that are created, that you're supposed to expand the boundaries of his kingdom in this world. And I wonder how often we actually do that. See, when we start to image something else, we become whatever that something else is. And, and we make this exchange for what God designed us to have and to be, and we exchange it for a lie. And so we've been talking a lot about that um, these past few weeks because uh, in that exchange, uh, as we said last week, when we make that exchange, we can't rest. We have no ability to rest because when you're working in your, a separate purpose and you see your, your life as something outside of what God designs, it, it feels heavy, it feels burdensome, it, it feels like you're exhausted all the time. But you step into what God has from your, for your life and something begins to shift in dramatically change. When you make that exchange, you, you're no longer living for your true self. You're living in this false self that actually doesn't lead to anything. And so we begin to see that, hold on a second, like maybe if I just take a step back and I start seeing my life in a different way and seeing like, okay, that God has, has, has this specific purpose for me. Now it can manifest itself in so many different ways. But man, I, my, my, my purpose is to rule and to reign. Like that's what he says about humanity. And that's what he says about you and about um, me. And so um, this becomes significant in how we start to embrace um, the reality of our lives. And so uh, I want to extend this, this imagery a little bit further. And so um, have you ever thought about uh, God's biggest competitor? So you might be thinking, like, so just like think, like, who's God's greatest competitor? And so you might be thinking, um, is it the devil, right? Um, is that who God says that it is? No. Is it the Yankees? Probably. <laughs> or today it's the Milwaukee Bucks. But it's the, um, but it's, you know, is it, is it like all this like stuff that people fight over? Like is it, is it politics? No. You know, is it all these things that when you look and what is portrayed through uh, media and what is portrayed and what is actually separating people all the time. Like, is, is, is all this language of, of something else that actually, when Jesus talks about what, what's the greatest competitor to following Jesus, Jesus doesn't say Satan. He doesn't say politics. He doesn't say hobbies. He doesn't say, um, if he were around now, he wouldn't say uh, a liberal, a conservative. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say CRT. He wouldn't say LGBT. He wouldn't say, uh, he wouldn't say or any other acronym we could think of. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything. You know what he would say? He'd be like, let me repeat myself. From what I said a long time ago, he said, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Just say it. Yeah. That's the greatest competitor to Jesus, is money. We don't think about it that way, but that is like what Jesus says, that the greatest competitor 
for your life into following Jesus is your money and how you begin to view money and how you begin to engage money. And so if you're walking in here for the first time, like, oh, I came in on a day of talking about money. Um, just give me a minute around this because I really want us to, to see something beautiful about what it means to image God really well in generosity and uh, how it begins to transform everything around us and a deeper purpose to it. That, that is, that's not about budgeting, though budgeting is great. It's not about, um, thing, you know, it's not about money being made. It, it's, I want us to see a deeper picture of what it means to image God and why it's so important that if we aren't generous people that it's literally impossible for us to image God. So right off the top, if we aren't generous people, I want to say this again, it is impossible to image God. It is impossible to live out the life that he has for you. It is impossible to build his kingdom without being a generous person. It is impossible to follow Jesus if you aren't generous. And so it's, it's important to like understand that in the front. And I'm going to show you like why it, this becomes so poignant and why it becomes uh, such a big deal because this is the way that he set it up. This is the way God set it up. Like even like, it, you know, when you think about like all the ills that are happening um, around us right now, um, pick just about anything and uh, greed is, is, is centered on it. And uh, even like, even things like um, what's going on with like formula right now, you know, the formula shortage. Think about this, like we could easily, like Europe has like better formula than we actually do here in the States. And, but we aren't allowed to bring in formula from the States because of labeling. So it's, it's because of greed in the end. They're, like the money needs to be made here. And so they would rather have a shortage for people. What, what is it? It's greed. And so think about um, every war. What's, what's it about? Power and what else? Greed. And so we start seeing so much of, um, even like all the political stuff that we see at the end of the day, it's just greed and power. And so um, we see that at, at what's, pu- what's pushing into even our own lives, we can start seeing like so much of the problems that we have in our lives is, is centered around greed. It's why... Um, and it's funny because when you, when you start seeing uh, some of the, the, the truth about uh, greed in and of itself, we start seeing that like, um, we don't want to ever admit that we're greedy, right? Like no, when, I, when we walked in today, no one was ever like, if I were to like, ha- if I were like handing a mic over and I was like, hey, um, are you generous? Rate yourself one to 10. You wouldn't have replied, you know, actually Wags, I'm super greedy. I would just love to admit that, like right off the top. Like we don't like to do that. Like there's, there's something um, in us that we know we should be generous, but we often choose greed. Um, I was reading an article this week um, that even talked about the, the success and the health of, of kids. So when they, they've, they've, for the first time ever, they've really been able to do this long study on what's the most important thing uh, for a child um, in terms of like his future success, his future health, uh, his or her future health and success. And it was interesting, um, there, there are several factors, um, parenting is obviously one of them, uh, but uh, one of the most significant factors is simply neighborhood you grew up in. 
why, seriously, why are there differences in our significant differences in neighborhoods? Greed. It's really it. It's just greed. And so we begin to see that at, at, at the core of the issues that we have is like this element of, of greed. But that's not the way God ever designed it to be. It's not the way he actually asked his people to live. It's not uh, how he wanted any of this stuff to, to work out. It, it's, it's about people being generous to uh, one another. Uh, you know, again, we've been spending so much time in this creation story, but have you processed for a second that when God was creating and putting things in this functioning order for humanity to, um, to be a part of, that he decided to partner with humanity? He decided that the way that he wanted it to be was for you and I to be with him in this whole creation thing. Because this whole, the creation stuff didn't start, like, stop then. It's always continued on, right? This, this new creation, this new life, this new kingdom, that's part of what we do. And that the way God actually designed it to be is to be fruitful, essentially to, to do this. Um, how many of you guys have any investments at all? Okay. Um, do you want those to fail? No, you want them to be fruitful and multiply, right? And so, so what, even in this language that we begin to see in the top with, uh, well, with what God does, is what does he do? He says, hey, I'm gonna in, here's this investment. I'm taking this investment, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply it. And how do you do that? Well, the way that God designed everything to be is like there's this generosity that ends up happening, that when we live in this life and we live out to be the kingdom of God, that this overflowing generosity will start pouring out of us and that we become, we become fruitful and we, we multiply. That God wants us to build his um, kingdom when uh, he wants to build something with us. Um, if you've watched that, how many of you guys have seen the Anna Delvey? Like, right? Like, somehow oh, this joke would fail. I won't even say it. Um, I was going to say <laughs> We're building something together. But um, anyway, there's, there's this reality that God wants to build something with us. Is that not generous? Like, like God could literally just do whatever he wanted, right? But here's what he decided. To take your gifts, my gifts, and everyone else's gifts. And he's like, I want to build something with you. You can't build something with God if you're only concerned with yourself. So he's like, I want to build something with you and to see this whole life like with you and enter this life like with you. And he establishes this right in creation, like right in the beginning. He's like, this is what I want and design and design things to be. But the temptation that we see, um, if you guys are familiar with your Bibles, in Genesis 1 is creation story. In Genesis 3 is the story of the temptation and when sin comes into this world. And isn't it interesting that the biggest part of temptation is for, to get you to start thinking that God's withholding something from you. This idea that, that the temptation that ends up happening with Adam and Eve in that story, because like they're good, like they're forming something with God, they're moving, they're vibing with God so well. And, and all of a sudden, the, the serpent, the tempter comes and he's like, hey, listen, God's withholding something from you. And you're like, he is? The second we start thinking God is withholding something from us is when we'll start living for ourselves. Because we'll think, oh, well, if he's withholding something from me, then I want to see what that is. And I'm going to seek out what? My own will rather than the will of God. And that's what starts to happen. And so that story has repeated itself over and over and over again. 
That we are tempted as if, if, it's as if God cannot give us an abundant life, so we've got to go find it on our own and do our own thing. He moves us, uh, you, when, we, when we go from that point of view, we go from an abundance mindset into a scarcity mindset, which we'll talk about here in a second. But take it a little bit further in the Bible. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but uh, in the book of Exodus, um, in, which is the story of the freeing of God's people, it's this beautiful story of God hearing the cries of the oppressed, hearing the cries of those that are um, poor, hearing the cries of those that um, are kind of underneath this oppressive, greedy uh, empire. And that God hears the cries of his people. And so he liberates them and he frees them. And so the response of the people is like, man, this, this God is, is unbelievable. Like a God that, that loves us and saves us and redeems us and, and restores us. And then God sets up this economic system. And the economic system is crazy. And, uh, and it's very different than the economic system that we live in. It's like there's a little bit of like free market to it, uh, but there's a, a lot of bit of responsibility. And, and it's interesting when he sets up that God's economic system is not like what we live in, like as a, as a capitalistic society. It's actually very far from it. Um, but it's not like a socialist system. It's very far from that as well. Um, but, but God's system is like fascinating. He, he sets this up in this like wonderful way. And we talked a little bit about it last week. It's like he set this up to be interesting. He's like, all right, here's, we want everyone, uh, every seven years, at the end of seven years, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let the land rest for a year, just a whole year, right? And what we talked about this last week is, is that when, even here, like during the pandemic, remember when the land rested, like things were crazy, all right? Smog was lifted from areas. Um, like all of a sudden nature responded. Uh, like things happened in the ozone layer that got healed. Uh, like animals were just literally wild. Like they were just like everywhere, you know? And, and so, so there was something that happened in this time of rest and that God set this up to be in this way. And he's like, hey, the land's going to rest for a year. And then in that, in that seventh year, it's going to like all debt is forgiven. How many of you guys have debt? How many would be like, it'd be cool if it was forgiven, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like, all debt was forgiven at the end of seven years. And then the seventh, seven, uh, seventh, seventh year, and the 49th year, and heading into the 50th year, uh, they had the year of Jubilee, which was uh, not only is all debt forgiven, but uh, the land was restored back to people. So, so get this. Here's, it's fascinating the way God set it up. He's like, it isn't that you can't make money. It isn't that you can't get wealthy. There are plenty of really wealthy people in the Old Testament. But there's this huge responsibility to make sure that they were unbelievably generous. Because what they wanted to do was, I want the system itself to be generous so the people don't mess it up. If the system itself isn't generous, who's going to mess it up? We will. So he's like, I'm going to set up the system to be generous first. But then he goes, but then the responsibility is for the people to carry it out. So he would put this on the people. So if you started making a lot of money, let's say, and you were really good, like you're killing it in like the livestock game. And like your farm is just unbelievable. You can harvest like crazy, like all that stuff, right? And, and, and your neighbor like is a terrible business person. Like he's like, I'll trade you five, five ox for a goat. You're like, really? And he's like, you're like, okay. So he's a terrible business person. And so now you're like, you have all of his animals, you have all of his land, and you're just killing it. And here's what God would say. He's like, 
But here's the thing. I want you to help anyone who's poor, they get to eat off your land. And not just the scraps, you got to give them some of the good stuff. Because you're generous with what you have. And then to those people that you took the land from, guess what you have to do? You have to teach them how to be better business people. It's your responsibility to teach them how to be better business people. So then here's what happens. At the end of seven years, like you, you, they're, they're, they're debt-free. They don't have, they have that debt anymore. But then at, in the 50th year, you gave that family their whole land back and said, hey, guess what? For 49 years, we've been prepping you for this moment so that you can be better business people again. It's like this system of like, so what happens? It's like, can you make money? Yeah. Can you get wealthy? Yeah, you will get wealthy. But it's like, so people don't get so poor either. He's like, God sets this like generous system up in a crazy way. Even the way they did loans, um, every loan was supposed to be interest-free because the loan was supposed to be restorative, not punitive. And so it was the, so if, if I was going to give you a loan, I was giving you a loan because I was like, hey, I want you to do this because I know this is what's best for you to be able to kind of move ahead in what you need to do for your business. And so I'm going to give you a loan, but it's interest-free. And if it takes you eight years to do it, guess what happens at seventh year? Debt-free. Debt-free at that last part. I want you to pay me back during those first seven years. But you know what? In that seventh year, whatever's left is gone. What a crazy system. Some of you guys are in finance. You're like, no. No, I don't, I don't think so. If you don't handle your money well, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be really great. But the thing was, was, um, you know, people that, who were also poor, who didn't handle things well, they also had the responsibility to also learn. They had the responsibility to, to take steps. And so it was this interesting kind of blend, and God's economic system was very different. When you think about Jesus, um, uh, how many of you guys think Jesus uh, was generous? Yeah, good, right? So, ready? To follow Jesus, then a Christian should be what? Wow. <laughs> and so to follow Jesus is to be generous. So we, we all know this, but no one would ever be like, hey, was Jesus gen- generous? Be like, I don't know, man. Like, he was a pretty greedy dude. His whole life was what? Eventually sacrificed. He was living in such a way, in the way that he taught. It was just like, man, it was to, to love God and love what? Others. Like, love other people. That the orientation of our life was to be generous. The orientation of our life um, in order to follow him was to, to, to essentially model who Jesus is. We're supposed to image who Jesus is. And so in order to do that, then one piece of who we are has to be generous. Um, recently, I heard Andy Stanley um, say this. He said, uh, we can choose to follow Jesus, but we can't choose what that looks like. We like to do this part a lot. We like to be like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But then you start reading what Jesus taught and you're like, I don't know. You know what I like? I, I really like the grace part, but I don't know that I like the generous part. I really like, you know, um, I really like the, the fact that we could forgive someone else. Um, but... At the same time, I kind of like judging people. And so we can't choose. If we want to follow Jesus, we literally have to pick up. And this is where churches get in trouble a lot. 
and Christians get in trouble a lot, is um, people like to think they're following Jesus, but they're actually just following this cultural version of Jesus. Not, the, not what actually Jesus taught. Like when you like pick up the New Testament and start reading Jesus, you're like, oh man, I don't know that I do that. I don't know if I'm as serious about that. I got to do what to my enemies? I got to, how many times do I have to forgive? How generous do I have to be? How loving and gracious and kind do I have to be? Like we, we start seeing this and what Jesus does and it's like, see, we can choose to follow him, but we can't choose what that looks like because Jesus, what? He already set it out for us to do. You can literally, so the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You could just read that, and I'm not kidding, for the rest of your life every single day and let that be the only thing that challenges you to follow Jesus and you will be just gripped with like, holy cow, this is hard. And I've got a lot of work to do. But man, you will see this beauty that comes out of your life because you'll start seeing, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way I'm supposed to live. This is how I'm supposed to think. This is the purpose for my life. That Jesus began to set it up in this manner. Um, Leslie Newbegin said, said this. I saw this quote too. He said, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. Meaning, someone comes up to you and is like, why are you the way that you are? And rather than having to say, well, you know, I've been through a lot and I've made some mistakes. It's like, I am the way I am because of Jesus. Why are you so generous? And you're like, the answer is Jesus. Why are you so gracious and kind and loving and forgiving? The answer is Jesus. Why do you take a step back from all this cultural junk and uh, have such a good perspective and a wise perspective? And you're like, well, you know, the answer is Jesus. So we have to start thinking then on the front end, it's like, okay, how much of my life would people ever even ask me a question? Like, what part of my life would people even wonder that's so different? See, to follow Jesus starts bringing some significant things up and it begins to really shift how we begin to engage people around us. When we think about the early church, even in and of itself, generosity was at the heart of it. Um, there are so many different examples, but um, they would have taken the teachings of Jesus and they would have done something like this. They would have looked at Matthew 6, Jesus talking here. He says, but seek what? I believe in you guys, you can read. Seek what? The kingdom of God. So this is God. And his righteousness. This word for righteousness is justice, mercy, doing good things for other people. So this is others. So we've got God. That's horrible penmanship. God and others, right? So right here, they would see this verse and say, this is the love of God and the love of others. Now we seek that first. That that's what our life is designed on. The love of God, the love of others. And then all these things will be provided. Well, what are all those things? It's like all those things we ever worry about, all those things we need to buy, all those things we need to possess, all those things. It's like all those things that stress us out. Like Jesus said, if you just seek me first and love others, like seek the righteousness and love others, be generous, like have a life that's like that. I'm telling you all the other things you desire in life will be added to you. There's something deeper to all of this stuff. So why can't we be generous? I want to highlight a couple of things. We don't want to be generous because we're skeptical. And I get this. Um, we have, in the church world, you, you've, I mean, you've had to have seen it. You, you, you had to have seen it misused. Um, or uh, sometimes churches can be very 
um, secret about how uh, they use their money. And so even for us, like we've always said since day one, we've always said, if you want to know how money is spent here, we will tell you where every cent goes. Just email Joe and he, like, seriously, not me. Um, I would, like, I don't enjoy that conversation. Joe will love it. He will be like, block off three hours because we have a lot to talk about. And, um, and so, but we'll tell you where every, every single penny goes. But you, I understand when people are skeptical because you've had reasons to be. You've seen churches mishandle it. You've um, seen Christians mishandle it. So I get it. Um, that makes sense. Um, but it doesn't preclude you from having a heart of generosity just because some other people have screwed it up. It doesn't mean that you can ignore the reality of what Jesus taught just because some other people messed it up. And so, so we start seeing like, all right, I understand skepticism and doubt and all that stuff, but like we also do that with Jesus in mind and what Jesus pushes us towards. Um, another thing is might be a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. Um, this is why I want us to have this mindset that you were meant for a life of fruitfulness, multiplication, and abundance. Um, I am not telling you uh, you were meant for a life of prosperity. Meaning, if you give $10, you'll get 100 <laughs> If someone's ever told you that, or you see someone on TV say that, call them and ask them to do it back to you and see if it works. <laughs> see, like, there's a reality, there's a reality, but that's not, like God's not some vending machine, right? Or some lottery ticket or anything. It's, no, it's the heart of what happens. And so, but we are meant for abundance and fruitfulness and multiplication. And so we start thinking about this lack of knowledge. I, I want us to start there with this. Now, you might be thinking, well, Wax, I don't, I don't have any money to give. And, um, and I understand that. That's like a lot of times when people come in and, they, and, and they're like, I just... I don't have anything to give. And I get that on the front end. I really do. But a generous heart, a generous heart moves us towards an understanding, of, well, first of all, that there's more to generosity, and I'll, I'll highlight that in a second. Um, but a generous heart will move us to be like, okay, but I can always do something. Even for folks that have been in really difficult times, and, and we've Listen, here and, and in past stuff, there, there have been a bunch of times where we've like, encountered like, really people falling like really hard times. They were so dang generous just in their life in general. Um, and they couldn't give a dime. They couldn't because like, life was like so hard. And it might have been years later. But when things came back around for them, do you know who the first in line was once they had money to give? You know who was there first? They were because their hearts were so generous to want to help others. So I want you to think about generosity. Um, in this way too. Is it your resources? Yes. But it's also your listening, your curiosity, your presence, your emotions, and your abundance mindset. So it's, is it resources? Yeah, it is. But it's also these other things that enable us, that no matter what we're going through in life, enable us to always be generous, to always have a generous mindset. And, um, and when you go through a really tough season where you can honestly say you don't have a penny to give or to help others, and can that happen? Yeah, it can happen. Um, you have all these other th ways that you're so generous. And then when it comes back around, you understand how then to enter in. Um, you guys being here at this church have been a recipient of someone else's generosity. So then wouldn't it make sense for us to then want to be doing that for other people, right? And so this whole concept becomes critical. A third way is you have a hard heart. 
you have a hard heart. Um, there's an element to this where you refuse to change your mind um, around the topic of generosity. Um, let me say this about a hard heart. Sometimes we have to just come to grips with the fact of our mindset around generosity is more, I just don't want to. And there's like blatant greed and the subtle greed is like, no, I just want to keep doing my own thing, right? And so it's to understand that piece when we have a hard heart. And then the fourth thing is a scarcity mindset, a scarcity mindset. So what is a scarcity mindset? Let me just say this first. In biblical times, they had this, um, they would do all these sacrifices to gods. And the reason they would do sacrifices to gods uh, was they had a scarcity mindset. They did not believe in the, in the abundance of God. They were worshiping all these other gods. And so in order to get favor with the other gods, they would make all these sacrifices to them in hopes that they would be wealthier, in hopes that they would have kids, in hopes that they would get married, in hopes they're making all these other sacrifices rather than having the abundant mindset. So here's what a scarcity mindset is. They're really trying to control everything. These are just some descriptors. You're controlling with, your, with everything you have. You're greedy. You're prideful. Um, you have this element of comparison that's constantly running through you. Like think about people you work with or friends you have. And you're like, you just bought what? Like you're, like you're driving your nice car that was really nice a day ago and your friend rolls up in something new and you're like, oh man, look at my seats. You didn't care about your seat 24 hours ago, right? What is that? There's this comparison happens. You have competing. Um, you're always trying to keep up. Uh, there's never enough, an insatiable desire of things. Um, you you want to always possess more and you have this exhaustion through achievement. That's not like, it's not like an out to be lazy. It's just like, man, in this insatiable desire and you got to get more and more and more and more, it's leading you to uh, exhaustion. That that's what scarcity mindset looks like and feels like and what can be described as. And so I wonder for a second, if you start looking at your own bank account and your own actions, where any things on this list describe who you are. The truth is, is probably for all of us, we can go in and out of this list a little bit here and there. None of us are perfectly 100% generous, but it's important to understand what it looks like. See, when we live with a scarcity mindset, we either sacrifice ourselves or someone else. And here's what I mean by that. You'll sacrifice your own time. You will sacrifice your health to keep up. Um, you'll sacrifice uh, your rest, and it only hurts you. Or you might sacrifice others because you work so much, you're trying to achieve so much, you're trying to work your way up, whatever, that you're sacrificing all of your friendships or your family or your kids or whatever, and other people feel the brunt of everything. So generosity will disrupt your schedule, your point of view, and your bank account. I promise you that. Um, to live a generous life is a wonderful thing, but man, it's going to disrupt everything in front of us. And so you might as well get on board with that right on uh, the front end. And so um, here's what I promise you, though. When you live a life of generosity, you will experience new life. Um, you'll see what real purpose is. Uh, you'll be uh, wanting to expand the boundaries of the kingdom uh, of God as well. And so when you think about it in this way, I, I wanted to just highlight for us here um, 
when we talk about generosity here, so much goes into it. Um, and I want to highlight genera- generational impact um, because whenever I talk about generosity, it's never just for the now. It's also understanding um, we want to build something for the future. So uh, for every um, little baby that's here, I think about for them as a teenager, what is it going to be like in this church for them? Um, I think about uh, what it means to have like multi-generational impact. You know, um, even for folks that are, are, are uh, upper in age, not older, just upper in age. Um, what does it mean uh, to be a church that can be a huge blessing as people continue to age? And what is the responsibility and what does it look like to love incredibly well in that? And so that our impact as a church is like multi-generational. Like I think about generosity for our church as, as like, man, can you imagine like 40 years from now, I will no longer be the pastor. Goodness gracious. Like, if at 85, I'm still pastoring. (laughs) But 40 years from now, how cool would it be to see Hill City still thriving with a whole crop of newer folks that's just like, man, because the, the legacy of the generosity was like, man, we were thinking about, in 2022, we were thinking about you in 2062. Sounds crazy to say that, but that's the heart. We are recipients, like a church now, recipients of the generosity of the early church 2,000 years ago. And the heart that was there. So I just wanted to highlight some things that, um, why we talk about rate of return on your money. Foster care and adoption. Um, we talk a lot about foster care uh, here. Uh, and um, actually on your way out today, our partner spotlight, our partner for the month is, is around foster care. Um, Patty's Hope is here. And um, we've got three significant organizations that we work with. And uh, your generosity is like helping foster children, helping uh, support families, um, helping families who want to foster children. Um, there's so many elements that we step into that with and uh, with adoption as well. Uh, meals for those without food. We've, we've done hundreds of thousands of meals uh, for people. Um, meals for big life moments, celebrated and mourned, meaning birth and death. Uh, you've, your generosity with, with helping prevent human trafficking, paying utility bills for those in need, um, helping people get employment, uh, supporting those in the greatest time of suffering. Uh, you're supporting missionaries internationally. Uh, you're supporting ministry work through Compassion International. Uh, you've done things like and these two here, uh, leadership development and creating spaces, and then there's staffing uh, as well. Um, that comes through like, your generosity. Um, leadership development, meaning like our ability to continue to train people or send people places or um, that will not only make this place better, uh, but will also, uh, for those like that are serving on our teams, like we want to help train and develop so that they're better in, like when you go to work. Um, that's part of what your generosity is going to, creating spaces. Um, you know, in Exodus 25, you know, that was God's first capital campaign um, when he built the temple. He actually asked God's people um, to, to bring money to, to build a temple, to build a place. And, um, and I'm not, we're not starting a capital campaign here, so don't, like, I'm not doing that. But, like, the spaces, like, matter for people. Like, it matters, like, when um, people come in with their kids, what kids' spaces look like and feel like and if they're safe and all those things. Um, it matters here, like, in this, 
place of just having a space for people to come. And, and, um, and we, hope, we hope in the future um, we'll be able to do some things here in this auditorium and in the kids' areas. Um, we're, we're working on it, and hopefully that will come to fruition. Um, but that's part of it, right? We're trying to create space uh, for uh, people. Um, access to clean drinking water. We work with folks doing that. Um, support of single parents. Um, building a discipleship program takes money, and, and your generosity helps, like, do those things. Staffing, um, as I said earlier, um, refu- this list, and this isn't even everything, you guys, like, refugee settlement, uh, racial restoration with, with groups like Arabon and uh, For Richmond, um, pregnancy resource centers, um, addiction recovery, uh, counseling, transportation assistance. We've helped students go to camp. You have housing assistance. You've uh, high school and college ministry support, and planted other churches, um, uh, educational engagement with area schools, kids and adults with disabilities. So when we talk about generosity, um, it ain't about padding people's pockets um, or building the Mecca in Richmond for Hill City. It's, um, think about it this way. How does God answer most people's prayers? Does he do it when you prayed? Does he magically just answer it? Or does he use people? Almost all the time it's through people. In the work of people. And so get this. The more generous lifestyle that we have, the more people will experience answers to their prayers. And I'm not saying that God can't do other things and and all that stuff. I'm just saying that like, we, get to, we get to experience what it means to be answered a prayer of people through a life of uh, generosity. And so um, I want to end with two questions that we're going to think, and we're, gonna, we're just going to sing one more song. Here are two questions. What in your life makes the gospel compelling to the next generation? What is it? It's someone who... I can even rephrase this. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, like, what would be compelling to them? Or someone who's younger. Like, I, I want, like, every student that comes through our church to feel like this is a place that, like, man, they were able to ask questions, be curious, and, like, they could grow in their faith. And, and it was, man, it was a great conversation, but they were just wowed by how generous the church was because the engagement in the community. And the second question, are people enhanced by your presence because of how generous you are? So I'm just asking you to bow your heads and process that for a minute. And we're going to sing this last song. So God, I pray that um, we'll have hearts that seek after you, that we would want to be generous people, that we would want to um, have a generational impact that goes far beyond ourselves, that we'd want to be a community. And God, let me just first also celebrate the reality of how generous this community is. Some of this is preaching to the choir, but... That, God, that there would just be this deep sense of um, 
a love of you and a love of others, to, to just want to image you so well, to build your kingdom here on this earth, that through our generosity, we literally become heaven on earth. And, um, but God, it first starts with understanding how generous you are to us. How generous the cross is to us that reshapes our whole life, that gives us purpose, that gives us hope, it gives us an understanding of who we are designed to be. And that comes and we recognize that through following you. So God, may you increase our generosity, our heart for others as we begin to know what it means to follow you and that we can build your life on who you are and on nothing else. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing?